When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the things you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, with me as always is Transfer Guru Duncan Castles, and if ever proof was needed, about the fact that we get the stories first. Just look on your social media and on your websites today of all the chat of Jaden Sancho joining Manchester United, his personal terms agreed, etc., etc. And then look back to the transfer window from two weeks ago when we reported that news first. Duncan, we've got lots on the agenda today, including updates on Sancho, also news on Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Everton, Inter Milan and lots more for you to get stuck into. We're going to start with the update on the Borussia Dortmund winger. Uh, As I said, we did bring the news that a contract five years and wages had been agreed uh, with Manchester United and uh, it just remained for the Old Trafford club to fix a fee with Borussia Dortmund. We can exclusively reveal to you that United have agreed in principle to meet an asking price from Dortmund of 110 million euros. We reported last week that United had made an opening offer of 60 million plus 20 in add-ons, making it 80 in total, obviously. But that now has increased to 80 million euros guaranteed and 30 million in add-ons based on performances and other related details. Duncan, this has been a long time in the making. Uh, as we know, we've been reporting on it for quite some time now. Um, but how significant is it that United have decided finally to take the plunge and just go on with this particular deal? Because you said and you told us that right wing was the principal uh, position that United wanted to fill in this particular window? Yeah, I I think there's quite a few elements here. I think most importantly, we're dealing with a strange transfer market. So Manchester United are still playing. They're still not completed this season. They've got the opportunity to win the Europa League. They've got those games to play. But they also have to start um, the next Premier League season uh, in September. It will depend how long they go into the Europa League as to exactly when they start, but they, the turnover time is virtually nothing. We've we've seen Frank Lampard complaining after the the his FA Cup final defeat, um, where he suffered a lot of muscular in, injuries before the match and in the match about the the turnover time before from the end of this season to the start of the next season not being sufficient uh, to maintain the quality, um, but. United basically don't have much time to play with. And I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as you say, priority of, a, of adding a right winger. 
um, is saying to the club, get the deal done. I want this player in as quickly as possible so I can get him integrated into the squad and integrated into uh, the more attacking system I've managed to implement since Bruno Fernandes has come into the club for next season to have a, a proper run at the Premier League. Um, it won't have escaped his attention that he finished 33 points behind Liverpool. And um, improvements will be required next season. And, and if and Jadon Sancho, with that kind of transfer fee, is going to put pressure on him to improve. So uh, rationally and pragmatically saying, give me the player as quickly as possible so I can get him into the team and working. Same story for Borussia Dortmund. They had talked some time ago about wanting to get this deal done um, before their pre-season started. There, there's mention of a, of a 10th August um, deadline to complete, which is less than a week. But essentially, Dortmund want to hurry the process along for the, for the same uh, reasons that Manchester United do. Um, Dortmund have been very clear that Sancho was available for sale this summer if their asking price was met. They've already spent um, some of uh, the money that they'll take from Manchester United for Sancho, ironically on a player that Manchester United themselves wanted to sign, Jude Bellingham, who they've got from Birmingham City. And actually, if you look at Dortmund's strategy in the round, you can say that they've taken two players at Manchester United pushed very hard to sign Jude Bellingham and Erling Haaland and, and will be able to cover all of their transfer fees and more with the money they receive from United for Sancho, which is credit to Dortmund's um, policy in the European transfer market, the way they're taking these big bets on younger players, as they did with Jadon Sancho, putting them in their team uh, uh, seeing them develop in the Bundesliga and the Champions League and taking big transfer fees down the, the line for the players. But yeah, it's you, you. this is an unusual window. Things are happening quicker. you got pressure from Solskjaer. you got pressure from Dortmund. Manchester United had tried that policy of uh, briefing that they would not go above £50 million for any one player in this window. They were saying that in... Um, uh, their own meetings with uh, with representatives from other clubs and, and transferred discussions internally. But ultimately, when it came down to uh, the bit, they knew what the price was going to be from Dortmund for Sancho. They knew that Dortmund wanted over €100 million Euros for the player. And they're now um, structuring a deal in a way that they can satisfy Dortmund and, and going over that £50 million pound limit that they were, they were verbalising earlier this summer. And of course, the reason, Duncan, why United are juggling uh, in terms of the finances is because right wing may well be the priority, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs players in other positions. We've talked about it extensively. We've talked about Gabriel, the Lille centre-back, and we understand that there has been at least one meeting between the players' representatives and Manchester United administrators. Uh, no fee or even negotiations uh, have taken place with regards to the details of that deal. We also have talked about Solskjaer's and desire to have a reliable left-back as well. And so what we're seeing here with regards to the structuring and negotiating on a fee um, is effectively... Uh, Manchester United trying to play within their budget. So 
down payments are an essential part of being able to balance out what your payments are over the course of the next three, maybe even five years, depending on the length of the contract and the amount you're paying. So how important is that going to be, do you think, for Solskjaer regarding rebuilding, uh, not rebuilding, but obviously augmenting his squad uh, in order to uh, make them competitive for the Premier League title next season? I think every Manchester United manager um, post Sir Alex Ferguson once the Glazers started putting more money into the transfer market has has faced elements of this problem. Um, You've got to deal with Ed Woodward. You've got to deal with his reluctance to let players go for what he feels is less than their their potential transfer market value, a kind of a policy which seems to be modelled on, on the way Daniel Levy has worked at Tottenham but has been affected um, so with far, far less competence than, than Levy's ever managed and they've been left with a lot of players on their books who they can't get rid of for the prices um, Woodward has been asking for them and they end up paying them um, substantial contracts for periods of time um, they, where they didn't need to pay them. I, you know, um, Matteo Darmian would be an example, Marcus Rojo, another example. There's a number of players that United have had the opportunity to get rid of at losses effectively on, on what Woodward values them, but they've, they haven't taken those opportunities. And I think part of this summer, uh, part of the pressure Solskjaer will be putting on United is to, to make those decisions quicker in this case. Yet um, a left-sided, a left-footed centre-back is something else that Solskjaer has decided he wants to allocate transfer budget to if he can. And there is that interest in Gabriel that we broke on the transfer podcast a few weeks ago. Um, What's happened with Leo is that Manchester United informed Leo, asked Leo um, that to be made aware if they were going to agree a fee for Gabriel with another club so that they would have the opportunity to match her better. Um, Leo are ready to sell Gabriel. Napoli are very keen on him. Everton are very keen on him. But my latest information on that is they do not yet um, have the 30 million euro fee that they would like to get for the player. I'm told the best offer they've had so far is 27 million euros. So you have someone there who's attainable if the Glazers, if Woodward decide that is the player absolutely they want for that position and they're prepared to give Solskjaer him in addition to Sancho. Um, In terms of players going out, you've got an interesting situation with Alexis Sanchez at Inter at present in that um, Inter want to use Sanchez in their Europa League campaign, where, of course, they could end up playing uh, Manchester United, uh, potentially even playing Manchester United for the trophy uh, at the end of of the competition. Um, But United are saying you will not be allowed to have them beyond the second leg of your current tie unless you agree a deal for next season. Now, uh, my information from Inter is that they have agreed personal terms with Alexis Sanchez to remain at the club. Uh, They've extended his contract for another year and reduced uh, the total cost of that to €7 million net uh, as a basic wage per season, which is quite a way down on the figures Manchester United gave him to move from Arsenal. Um, 
I'm also told that Inter do not want to pay a transfer fee for the player and they believe that they will be able to achieve that in negotiations with Manchester United because they know that United want to get rid of Sanchez. And they will add into that negotiation process or that leverage process of saying, we're, we're going to give him a home which he will accept. We will get him off your books, but you're going to have to deal with the residual amounts on his contract and make Sanchez and his agent happy with the compensation you pay him um, to scrap that residual period on his contract. So, so that information from Inter is it's, they expect to get the player, they have the terms agreed at their end, but Manchester United still have to do a bit of work in terms of allowing him to leave for free and uh, paying him off or giving him a package which satisfies him on the residual in his current contract for the deal to go through. Interestingly, Duncan, um, obviously internationally secured uh, second place finish in Serie A uh, last weekend. Um, however, uh, Antonio Conte's response uh, to their finish and with regards to what happens next season was predictably combative uh, in terms of uh, what we learned about his personality at Chelsea when after winning the Premier League he made demands uh, on the club which the club then decided were uh, too much and of course he was summarily dismissed uh, in the aftermath of that. Now Conte has since uh, done a bit of the old uh, beep beep in reverse uh, in terms of his comments but will his future uh, affect the Alexis Sanchez deal in any way? Or do we think that Sanchez is someone, a uh, player who is independent of whether Conte stays or not? And also, I know you have news about the possibility of Conte actually being replaced. Um, so Alexis Sanchez's deal has been driven by Giuseppe Marotta at present and uh, as the, the chief executive and, and chief of transfers at, at Inter. So I, I think it's a separate story. He sees value in the deal and it is prepared to secure him. You're right, after Conte missed the Italian title by a point, beating Atalanta in the final game, um, he came out and criticised the board for their lack of support, um, complained that his work and the players' work hadn't been acknowledged and that they weren't protected when they went through a difficult period um, in the restart and dropped off um, the, the title pace. Now, the context of this is you, you'd think missing the title by just a point to Juventus would be a success. There was a sense in Italy that this was the opportunity for Inter to end Juventus's long run of titles. Um, I think in Maine, because Maurizio Sarri had been in charge of Juventus and hadn't done a particularly good job there, and they were a weak inside compared to the team that Max Allegri had, had led for such a, a long time. And of course, Conte had got a lot of money and investment in the previous transfer market, again, having played that card of pushing the club to give him support. Uh, also pushing them in January to, to give them support and some more experienced players and Christian Eriks and Ashley Young amongst them coming in in January. You're right, we've seen this from Conte before. We saw it at Chelsea. We also saw it at Juventus um, where there was 
similar kind of periods of of aggression between the board and Conte fighting for power and eventually Conte walked out in pre-season um, from Juventus um, uh, because he wasn't going to get what he wanted at the time. In th the interesting part of this is that my information is that Inter are open to the idea of Conte leaving. I'm getting it from people close to Conte that it wouldn't be a surprise for them if Conte left, but I'm also hearing from the Inter end that um, were Conte to walk, that might not be such a bad solution for them. And indeed, they have already prepared themselves uh, for that eventuality. And who have they contacted? They've contacted Max Allegri, who is obviously out of work at the moment, having taken a year sabbatical, still being paid by Juventus during that sabbatical, but out of work. And my information is that Max Allegri is interested in taking the Inter job should Conte leave. Now, you, you mentioned the, the, the quick reverse from Conte on Monday. Um, what he said, um, uh, releasing a statement to uh, Italian news agency, is that I am committed to a three-year project with Inter. And as I have always done in my life, I will work hard and fight with all my strength and everything in my power to make it a winning project. I suspect that's not unconnected to the approach to Legri. Um, Conte has played some of his cards and Marotta and Inter have responded by saying, well, if you don't want to be here, if you don't feel like you get the correct support from the club, um, maybe the solution is just to, to call it quits after a year and we'll find someone else to manage the club. Um, I don't think it will be the end of this uh, negotiation, um, aggression, uh, fight over transfers, because I don't think um, Conte will be prepared to walk. Um, if he leaves, he would like to be sacked. Um, if he sees that, that Inter have an alternative solution, then he'll push in a different way and, uh, and probably make it clear that he's not going to walk. And, and then there'll have to be a re resolution in which they, they move on into another season. Um, Inter are already paying their previous coach Spalletti. They're still compensating him for sacking him to bring Conte in. So to sack Conte on top and have to pay him substantial compensation would make it very difficult for them to bring in Allegri. So it's one of those, those um, standoffs and complicated situations that Antonio Conte seems to specialise in producing at his clubs and, they, and that it's part of the risk you take when you bring in his, um, his undoubted abilities as a manager and, and his undoubted abilities to drive players to, um, to better performances. A specialist in conflict, as Jose <laughs> Mourinho might like to say, although, of course, you could look in the mirror and say the same thing about himself. Um, the uh, consequences, potentially, Duncan, are interesting for Manchester City because uh, Lotaro Martinez, who has been heavily linked with Barcelona and who have tried to negotiate and deal in excess of 100 million euros for the Argentinian striker, uh, but have since fallen down because of the economic crisis caused by COVID, among other things. Uh, we reported in January that City had uh, mooted the possibility of a swap deal for Martinez and Sergio Aguero. Um, however, Martinez uh, looks like he's running out of options uh, if Barcelona do not manage to meet the valuation 
that Inter Milan have of the player. Do you think there's a possibility now, maybe the slight opening of the door, uh, that City could potentially get a deal done in place for a player who is exceptionally talented and certainly um, one of the hottest strikers in Europe this season? Well, City have made efforts to extend Sergio Aguero's contract. We, we told you about that a few weeks ago in the podcast and they're prepared to pay a substantial signing on fee to their leading scorer and their all-time leading scorer if he stays at the club. There has been an interest in Lautaro Martinez. Barcelona looked like they were going to get the player. Um, Pre-COVID, it looked like they were going to pay the €111 million Euro release clause for him. Um, to strengthen this summer. Obviously, a lot has changed with the finances of the club. Barcelona have been very hard hit by COVID because of um, the amount of money they make from their stadium, not just in uh, ticket sales to supporters, but also even through things such as the club museum, which makes significant revenue for them each year. What I'm told is they looked at what happened post-COVID, and they looked at Chelsea signing Timo Werner for €60 million, and they looked at Timo Werner's goal return um, in the Bundesliga and Lautaro Martinez's return in Serie A and said, well, if Timo Werner goes for €60 albeit the release clause was what it was, can we really justify spending €111 on Lautaro in these economic circumstances? And they then backed down on the deal and tried to negotiate a lower price with Inter, which Inter obviously are not happy with. What it means is Lautaro's available. Inter had been calculating on Lautaro um, going this summer if they got that 111. Um, and so they're still open to that sale. And um, where Manchester City, who of course have been released from the shackles of financial fair play and of course are intending to spend heavily in other areas of the team. They've already got a deal in place for Ferran Torres from Valencia and Nathan Aki as a, as a kind of second choice centre-back uh, and a player who can play at left-back uh, lined up for the summer. If they decided that Lautaro wanted to be added to that list, they have the possibility of doing that. But there are other players they're interested in. Again, something we mentioned on the podcast some time ago, they tried very hard to, to buy Jean-Felix a year ago um, the deal didn't happen because they couldn't structure it financially, ironically, because of financial fair play at the time. They suggested to Benfica at that time that they buy the player and he remain on loan um, with payments being delayed. Instead, Benfica sold to Atletico. Joan Felix hasn't had the best of times marrying with uh, Diego Simeone at Atletico. And there is perhaps the possibility that where Manchester City to go to Atletico and say, right, we will take this player off your hands for another substantial fee. Um, they could have him this summer. Uh, so I wouldn't rule out the possibility of them resurrecting that move. Um, their, their options are open in a way they haven't been for a very long time um, because of the, the Court of Arbitration for Sport decision. Um, and they have the demands of their, their manager, Pep Guardiola, to aggressively restructure in order that he can take the, the Premier League title back off Liverpool. So, ironically, um, probably Manchester City, a bit like uh, quite a lot of clubs, actually, in the top half of the Premier League, um, 
look good going forward, but not so good at the back. Uh, we'll come on to Chelsea very soon. Um, but City's, uh, one of their major priorities right now, as we revealed in this Transfer Window podcast, is to sign two centre-backs uh, this summer, possibly with the um, disposal of John Stones elsewhere. Uh, however, Eric Garcia, a 19-year-old centre-back, is wanted very much by uh, Barcelona. They're willing to pay €10 million Euros for the player. City, however, Duncan, are keen to retain him. What are the chances of uh, the player staying at the Etihad, given what City are doing in the transfer market, as well as the draw of joining uh, Barcelona? Well, returning to Barcelona in Garcia's case, because that's where Manchester City took him from as a, as a teenager, as a younger teenager. He's still only 19. Um, he, because of the problems Manchester City have had in central defence this season, injuries and also um, that lack of faith Guardiola has in, in John Stones, who, as you mentioned, is now an, an option um, for West Ham United uh, this summer. Um, Garcia found himself part of Guardiola's first choice 11 um, at the end of the season. He he started five of the last seven Premier League games for Guardiola, started a total of eight Premier League games this season um, and, and done well in the position. And I, I think Manchester City have kind of got themselves caught in a difficult area here. They, I think they've had so much attention focused on bringing elite centre-backs in um, you can go back to previous pods for our reporting on that. Kaladu Kulabai, one of a number of high-profile centre-backs are looking at buying to start alongside Emeric Laporte. So much focus on that. They appear to have forgotten that Garcia was down to a year of contract, uh, which is always a dangerous time for any player, particularly a player of his age who isn't particularly highly paid at present because he's on his first senior uh, professional contract. Barcelona, I'm told, see him as a medium-term replacement for Gerard Piquet. Um, obviously, he was trained by them, so he knows their style of play. And uh, they've seen what he's done in the Premier League this season, and they see a, a player who they think can develop into a starting centre-back for Barcelona. Told they are putting great effort into persuading him not to renew and extend at Manchester City, and instead to... Um, basically force Manchester City's hand and say, I'm, I'm not going to renew and allow Barcelona to make a bid this summer. As you say, Barcelona prepared to pay up to €10 million Euros for him. Um, Pep Guardiola's talked about this situation and, and said um, last month he has one more year of his contract. If Barcelona want him, they must call him. We're going to try to convince him to stay here for many, many years. I'm confident he will stay, but in the end, it's his decision. He knows what he wants, but it was the same with Leroy. Um, and referring there to Leroy Zani, who was, of course, another player that Manchester City um, wanted to retain, but ended up losing to Bayern Munich for, for very substantial money. Not as substantial as, they, as it would have been if it happened a, a year ago. Um, but I think they have a problem here um, on top of... Uh, buying centre-backs or starting centre-backs for Guardiola, it, that's not the best context in which to persuade uh, a young talent 
that he's best served by staying at the club, given that he's going to look at those players coming in and say, well, you, you bought one centre-back already, you want to buy a, a top-level centre-back as well. If I stay here, where exactly do I play? Defensive frailty has not been unfamiliar for Chelsea in the season which the Premier League has just concluded. Obviously, they have a tie against Bayern Munich in which they would be very, very uh, fortunate, uh, if not miraculous, to reverse a 3-0 deficit against Bayern Munich in the Champions League this coming weekend. However, um, you will have heard us speak on numerous occasions about Frank Lampard's desire to ramp up his defence. And therefore, the purchases of Ziyech and of Timo Werner and the potential uh, arrival of Kai Havertz, none of which fulfil that particular um, roles or the particular roles of augmenting the defence, uh, have been yet satisfied. And uh, it's our information that uh, Lampard is willing to sell up to four or possibly five of his current defensive players, including Kurt Zuma, Andreas Christensen, uh, Emerson and Marcus Alonso. Uh, we have reported extensively on Lampard's interest in taking Declan Rice from West Ham United and making him uh, a centre-half in a back three. However, uh, the information that we have is that West Ham United would only sell Declan Rice for, and we quote a source here, a ridiculous offer. Now, that offer, um, we are told, is £60 million plus, which does seem uh, expensive, however, in the current market, then perhaps it is realistic. And of course, Ben Chilwell is also a priority at left-back for Chelsea. Now, given the money they've already invested, Duncan, um, we're looking at quite a serious bill uh, in terms of this particular transfer market. Um, however, I understand you've got information about a potential alternative to Declan Rice should uh, West Ham not reduce their price or indeed Chelsea agree to pay. Yeah, look, you came up with an interesting stat before we started uh, recording today, which was that... That Chelsea... makes a change. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea conceded more goals than any other team in the top half of the Premier League last season, which is quite remarkable, particularly given the history of Chelsea and, and the way um, they have established themselves as a, as a Premier League force and that they tended to be a relatively conservative team that defended well. And, you know, credit to Lampard for changing the style and, and getting them into the Champions League while playing young players and, and playing um, that style of football. But the defence is, is clearly a substantial issue and you can understand why he wants to improve. But there is, on top of that problem of Marina Granovskaya uh, seeming to think that the best way to improve the defence is to buy all the best attacking um, midfielders and, and forwards in, available in Europe for, for 
reasonable prices at the moment. Um, there is a problem that the players Lampard wants and Ben Chilwell and Declan Rice are going to be expensive and difficult to get. West Ham United staying in the Premier League has obviously made that more problematic, even though Declan Rice has, as you told us um, the other week, um, informed West Ham United that he would like to leave for Chelsea. Um, again, my information that from a senior source at West Ham United that they will only sell if a crazy offer comes in for Rice. Ben Chilwell will not be cheap. Um, other clubs in the Premier League want him. Leicester City are financially very strong. He's an important player for them. Again, you will not get that player cheap on salary and you will not get that player cheap on fee. And you have to convince um, the Russians at Chelsea um, to invest that kind of money in those positions. So who else can you look for? Well, the, the information I have is that there, an inquiry has gone in to um, Lewis Dunk's representatives at Brighton. Um, Dunk, 28 years old, uh, would like to play in the European Championship for England. I think if um, a club of Chelsea stature were to make a formal offer for the player, Brighton would listen to that. They're, they're a club who um, respect uh, the ambitions of their players and would allow uh, a player who's given them as great service as Dunk has uh, to move to another club like Chelsea if they see that opportunity for him to play Champions League football and to compete for the Premier League title if the money is right. And I don't think it'll be Dunk would be cheap um, from Brighton for obvious reasons, but I don't think he would be expensive as Chilwell or Rice. The question, however, is can you convince Granovskaya to spend a substantial fee on a 28-year-old defender, um, regardless of his qualities, um, when her, almost the entirety of our, our transfer and recruitment policy over the last few years has been focused on younger individuals um, who have a long-term future at Chelsea, who, whose transfer value can increase. Um, essentially, that's what they've been paying big transfer fees for, with the occasional smaller amounts going on individuals like Olivier Giroud to fill gaps in the squad as and when required. One of the um, interesting twists in this tale, Duncan, could be Kurt Zuma, um, a player who has been... I think it's fair to say unconvincing over the course of the last Premier League season for Chelsea, but who is interesting Everton and, of course, former Chelsea boss Carlo Ancelotti. Zuma spent a, a year on loan at Goodison Park. Uh, he would be someone who, of course, might be an alternative to Gabriel, who we spoke about in terms of Manchester United earlier in this particular pod. Uh, and if Gabriel, of course, uh, would prefer to move to Old Trafford rather than Goodson Park, then Zuma may well be a reasonable replacement in the pecking order at uh, Everton. However, um, they also have an interest in Zeko Cilic at Lille, who, of course, and this is the beauty of the transfer merry-go-round, uh, is interested in uh, Spurs, where Jose Mourinho sees him as a player. Not the same position, obviously, but someone uh, who uh, would augment 
Jose Mourinho's squad and would also mean potentially the departure of mm, something of an enigmatic player at the, uh, well, I was going to say the naming rights stadium. Well, why not? We always like to call it that. Yeah, Everton for Zuma makes a makes a degree of sense because Ancelotti um, knows the player and because the player knows the club. Um, obviously, Gabriel is the the younger, the more promising talent. Um, as you say, however, um, can Everton win that battle? Should Manchester United decide um, to put significant resources into it? Can Everton win that battle against Napoli? Um, ironically, Ancelotti's former club, so there could be an interesting bit of persuasive power to be played by Ancelotti in that process. But it's going to be a test of, of their ambitions. Um, with, uh, with Zeki Cilic, um, again, um, I think Everton have identified uh, a serious talent there. Um, Cilic has been at Leo for two seasons now. He's a full Turkey international. He's uh, 23, 1m80, um, very good in defensive duels at right back, a, a strong provider of, of crosses, um, disciplined player who, who doesn't pick up many red cards. He's a, you can understand why top Premier League clubs and other clubs are thinking this is a player to pick off from uh, one of the, the League One's better sides and bring him to the Premier League. You have, because he spent two years in France and been playing the vast majority of games there, he played 82% of, of Lille's uh, league games this season and all of their Champions League matches. You know he's already adapted to playing outside his home country, which has been a problem with Turkish players in the past, so that you'd have a bit of insurance on, on that concern there. Um, Mourinho wants him to augment at right back, which is a position that has been tactically very important for him, particularly when he came into Tottenham. He, um, he used a system where the right back was pushed into the attack as soon as Tottenham gave possession with Ben Davis at left back dropping into what was effectively a three. So he needs a player there who's mobile and can deliver crosses. Um, Serge Aurier uh, is definitely that. Serge Aurier, as we know, as anyone who watches him knows, is a player who is prone to defensive error and some really horrendous and expensive defensive errors. And um, I think if you pick a manager in the Premier League who's less happy, uh, less tolerant of defensive errors that, that cost points, I think Jose Mourinho is that manager. So you can see why he'd want to improve there. Um, we have a context that Milan are interested in taking Serge Aurier. Um, Aurier has two years of contract left at Tottenham. He's well paid and was signed at a relatively high fee. The, the figure Milan are floating as their um, top potential offer for Aurier is 15 million euros, which is something I'm not convinced that Daniel Levy will accept for a player who actually played the second highest number of minutes of any Tottenham player in the Premier League in the last season. Um, but I sense the potential for conflict and, and complications because um, Mourinho, I think, would be happy to change the two players. But if Everton are quick 
And the information I have is that they have already proposed a fee of 15 million euros to Leo for Chilich. Um, they can probably get him ahead of Tottenham. Uh, Leo, I'm told, value the player at 20 million euros. And this isn't the only sort of Everton-Tottenham conflict that's going on because we told you a while ago that um, Hoiberg at Southampton was Mourinho's preferred option to strengthen the midfield, um, actually a priority signing for this summer. Everton have made an offer to Southampton for Hoiberg, who is also of interest to Manchester City. Um, I'm told Daniel Levy is concerned that the fee for the player is accelerating upwards. Um, he was hoping to get him on the cheap because Hoiberg only has a year of contract left at Southampton. Southampton need money in. Um, but Everton and Manchester City's interest has, has made that more complicated for him. And you, I think because of the circumstances of COVID, Tottenham probably hit the hardest of any team in the Premier League in that their new stadium, Naming Rights Lane, is designed about boosting the revenue, not just from having more fans, but also from having concerts and NFL games there. All of that has been ended uh, by the pandemic um, for an indefinite period. They've had to take 175 million loan from the UK government, saying that they would not spend any of that money on transfer fees. They've announced that they expect their losses to be in the region of 200 million in terms of lost revenue. Um, they are in difficulty because of the pandemic. Obviously, Everton will be hit by the pandemic as well, but Everton have a very affluent owner who has been prepared to put money in in the past and I think will be prepared to put money in again. And they might be able to take the march over Tottenham in this particular transfer window where a year ago, if you thought about Tottenham going head to head with Everton, um, Tottenham should have been able to equal or better them financially and offer a more attractive playing uh, project to the players that the two clubs are going for. I'm just considering here, Duncan, the, uh, the idea of Jose Mourinho being intolerant of defensive errors <laughs> and thinking of uh, that uh, infamous note that was passed to John Terry in his first season at Chelsea when they were away at Blackburn Rovers. Do you remember the one he stuck in his sock? I do. Do you remember what it said? Uh, I think I'll leave that to you to. No, I'm not going to say that. to the listeners. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to say that because we when we have so young young listeners, so I'm not going to use the expletives. It would be remiss of us, of course, not to mention the current Premier League European and World Club champions, Liverpool, who have been, as yet, fairly um, disinterested, it seems, in this particular transfer window. However, it is our information that the interest in Thiago Alcantara, the Spain international, currently playing for Bayern Munich, is solid, and that uh, talks have taken place uh, between uh, Liverpool and the players' representatives and that Bayern Munich themselves are effectively resigned to losing the player uh, this summer. Now, it's her information also that uh, Bayern Munich's continued uh, contention in this year's Champions League has become a stumbling block 
any any potential transfer because they want Alcantara to play a full part in uh, the tournament which resumes next weekend. Well, next Friday, actually. But uh, Chelsea played their resumed tie uh, on Saturday with, of course, Bayern Munich are 3-0 up in that particular game. But Liverpool are unhappy at the notion that uh, a player that they want to recruit now could actually be looking at playing four games uh, before uh, the end of August in a term where their pre-season already started. And indeed, of course, as we know now, the Premier League season is due to restart on September the 12th. Uh, they would prefer, if they're going to pay uh, a fee of around 25 to 30 million euros for Alcantara, that they will, that player should be with them in their pre-season. Um, Duncan, I, I for, for one, I'm a little bit kind of, um, I don't know, not puzzled, but where does he fit in? Because it seems to me that both um, Naby Keita and Fabinho have proven themselves in central midfield. We've got Jordan Henderson there as well. So I'm just wondering, a lot of people are saying that Alcantara may be the missing piece of the clock jigsaw. I'm not convinced. Not sure Naby Keita's fully established himself at, at Liverpool as yet. Fabinho definitely has, but Fabinho is the, the holding midfielder. Thiago's a, a more um, forward-thinking, creative player, someone who was rated extremely high, highly by Pep Guardiola when he was at, at Bayern. Um, I can see why he would be a, a, a very positive addition to Liverpool. Um, they have, of course, lost Adam Lallana, although you could argue that they, they had lost Lallana for basically the majority of the, the last three seasons. Um, we told you in the podcast that um, the sort of internal transfers that that uh, Jurgen Klopp talked about after winning the title won um, thing they want to try is to promote Curtis Jones into that position um, and give him the opportunity to make it his own. That would be the cheap solution. Um, very talented player, but the question that Klopp has and, and that Liverpool has is, does he have the right physical and mental attributes to fit into his system? The way Klopp plays, the midfielders have to do both an immense amount of physical work, but they also have to be extremely disciplined in being in the right places at the right time. And there's a there's a there's a, you know, a realization at Liverpool that you can have extremely talented players who would do very very well at other clubs, but they won't work in Klopp's system. Um, they want to give Jones the chance to to prove he can. But I think with Thiago, you you see a player who, as I said, has has worked under um, Pep Guardiola and. What you know with players who work well for Pep Guardiola is they will run and they will uh, play in specific positions that the manager asks them to be in certain game situations, which while Klopp's system is not the same as Guardiola's, um, those requirements uh, or characteristics of a midfielder and from a physical and mental perspective overlap. So I think that that would be the thinking there. Um and and I do think it would be a, an improvement for Liverpool, a significant improvement for Liverpool if they were able to get that deal through. There is interest also from Paris Saint-Germain 
Um, so you have a you know a club with big financial resource able um, to to prevent that from happening. But yeah, it would be a plus for Liverpool and uh, and a worry I think for the rest of the Premier League if they if they did manage to get that. I can also understand why they want to do it as quickly as possible because what we've seen with the vast majority of players that Liverpool brought in under Klopp is they need an adaptation period. They need to learn how to play his system. Um, you see it with Andy Robertson, for example. You see it particularly with Fabinho. Remember, there were conversations in that first season that Fabinho was there, that he might leave the club. And, and in fact, Paris Saint-Germain tried cheekily to, to take him from Liverpool inside six months of them signing him. But Klopp and Liverpool would, would not entertain that because it was part of that, that process of learning. So given this season is going to start late, given they've got an abbreviated pre-season, you'd want as much adaptation time as possible and, and getting Thiago there now if you're going to sign him would be far better than allowing him to to play a Champions League final tournament, which is a bit like a World Cup final tournament where you know the player would expect to have a holiday after finishing, which could take you into October before you, you, you start properly working with your new manager and new teammates. On a more general note, Duncan, um... We sort of saw a similar situation this time last year after Liverpool became European champions. And Klopp at one point expressed his frustration at the fact the club did not seem to want to spend and recruit to strengthen for what has now been obviously a very successful season in that they've won the Premier League. Is there, do you think, a, a concern for Liverpool where their rivals are certainly strengthening um, en masse, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea in particular, whereby they don't seem to be proactive with regards to um, making the squad better in order to defend the Premier League title? Look, they are working on improvements. And we've, we've talked about various of those on the podcast over the last few weeks. The question is, do Fenway Sport Group finance any or all of those improvements? Yeah, but uh, we, we, know, we know that they lost Timo Werner to Chelsea when they yeah. put in a hell of a lot of work and also felt they had the player in their palm of their hand only for that to be taken away from them. So my point is um, the fact that Klopp wants to improve, wants to um, augment his squad, doesn't seem to be happening. Right? I mean, OK, we're only 10 days in the transfer window, but still they, there's not a lot going on with Liverpool with regards to transfer business. They haven't done it. They haven't... Um, completed any deals. Klopp wants to improve. Klopp wants to drive the hammer down and say, look, we are top. We have an advantage. You improve the squad, you refresh the squad, you go um, for another Premier League title, you go for um, another Champions League title. This is the time to reinforce from a, a position of strength. As we've discussed in the podcast, Fenway Sports Group have put a huge amount of money into that squad for Klopp. The wages 
wage bill has gone up massively over the last two years. There has been a lot spent on transfer fees, although much of it has been recouped by um, deals where they, they took um, extortionate transfer fees from Barcelona for Philippe Coutinho. Um, they have went into this summer thinking that Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane might be sold for 100 million euro plus fees uh, to one of the big Spanish clubs, but that um, is almost certainly not going to happen. You have Florentino Perez saying they won't be doing deals of that magnitude and Barcelona having to juggle um, and considering big offers for play, for young players such as Ansu Fati um, in order to raise revenue to do some of the, the, the senior deals they want. I think the worry for, for Liverpool is Manchester City. Um, Manchester City are going to spend heavily, as we've said. They have been um, released from their financial fair play obligations effectively by the Court of Arbitration for Sport decision. It's no coincidence that you see Klopp um, speaking critically of that decision after it happened. Had Manchester City been, um, had they, their ban from the Champions League for two seasons been un upheld, then you have a completely different picture in the Premier League in that City would be having to deal with trying to retain their better players instead of um, spending lots of money to uh, further improve their squad. It's, it's a swing in the environment in which FSG and Klopp have to work. don't think they'd be particularly worried about Manchester United. I think Klopp would say invest, improve, maintain that gap. But uh, you can understand why FSG are saying, well, there's 33 points behind. Um, they were... They required 14 penalties to scrape into the Champions League and the lowest ever points total to automatically qualify for the Champions League group stage. Similar argument about Chelsea. Um, they're a long way behind the two sides. And yes, they're investing and yes, they'll improve. And yes, they will close the gap if, if the status quo remains. But, you know, it's a big gap. But the Manchester City one, I think, might be the thing that pushes Liverpool into giving Klopp a little bit of what he wants in this market because it's a different scenario to three weeks ago now. This being the first of the week's Transfer Window podcasts, we're going to end it with our Heroes and Villains segment. But I'd first like to say thank you to all of you who have subscribed to our YouTube channel, please go to YouTube and search at Transfer Window Podcast. You'll find, fun enough, that we come up first because we are the one and only. Uh, please subscribe because obviously it expands our community as well. Uh, Duncan, uh, before we do the outro, I'm going to ask you to give us your hero of this particular week uh, so that we can then obviously decide whether or not you're right. Or wrong. Uh, hero this week, the, the man who scored the goals to give um, Arsenal the FA Cup final, um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, fantastic performance, uh, penalty well taken and won. Um, but the finish for the second goal, I think, was the highlight for me. Um, when you see him collect that ball, you think, there's a chance to score here, but it's a complicated chance. And then with one touch, he takes the defender out of play. And once he has a defender out of play, again, it's not easy to score. But 
with Obama Yang, you expect the ball to end up in the net. And the, the quality of his finishing, his calmness in front of goal has been exceptional at this season and, uh, and a great way for him to finish the season. As my middle son Aidan texted me at the time, Messi. <laughs> <laughs> when he saw Babian's second goal, um, which uh, I do like the combination of uh, the religious and the number 10 of Barcelona. Um, my villain is going to be Gianni Infantino, uh, a man who has this week uh, been the subject of a criminal investigation into meetings with the Swiss Attorney General, which were not reported or recorded. And the reason for that is I do not understand why uh, a FIFA president who came in on an anti-corruption agenda would put at risk uh, not just FIFA's reputation again, but also um, his own presidency by allowing things to be questioned as to why he was having uh, covert meetings with someone who perhaps might have influence with regards to FIFA's, let's just say, uh, operations. And um, that seems to me to be something which uh, all of us need to be very, very wary and cynical about, uh, given all of us have experienced with regards to FIFA's wrongdoings in the last decade or so. So, Hero of the Week is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I agree with Duncan on that. And uh, villain is, well, Gianni Infantino. So, uh, please continue the debate. We hope you've enjoyed everything that you've heard on the pod today. Uh, you can uh, interact with us on our social media channels, which are on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook at Transfer Podcast. As I mentioned before, if you prefer to listen on YouTube, then please do. That's uh, search Transfer Window Podcast on YouTube. Please subscribe and you'll get notification on the latest podcast as well. Um, Duncan and I are available to engage with you. As you will see, we do... Uh, very much get in touch with you and we're happy to uh, have a conversation and keep the debate going so that's at duncan castles and at garbo sj we will be back later in the week it just leaves me to say stay safe be well and thanks for listening